for those of us who are gathered here this morning and who are Christians. We are the absolute most blessed, favored, and aided people in the entire world. We are surrounded by the blessings of God. We have great gifts in Christ that cannot be found anywhere else. We have the forgiveness of all of the sins that we have ever committed. Think about that. In your entire life, gone in Christ. We have something that the world is searching for desperately, and that is purpose. I know why I'm here. I don't mean here in this room. I mean here at all. I know exactly why God made me. Ephesians 1 says, to the praise of His glory. And I don't know about you, but I know where I'm going. I am here to get to heaven. Forgiveness of our past sins, present purpose, and a future place? What else could you ask for? There are none as blessed as children of God. And yet, our faith can be lost. We can lose the salvation that we enjoy. Now, let me be clear. No one can take it from you. The adversary cannot take anything I just explained from you. The world cannot take it, but we can, and some have, just given it away. The book of Hebrews talks a little bit about this. We need to begin there. Would you open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 3? Hebrews chapter 3, please. And verses 12 through 14, we are told in verse 12 to take care. We need to put in some effort of thought and belief and action. It says, take care, verse 12, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. The heart, the heart can change. The heart can be deceived by the lies of the adversary. The heart can turn, verse 12, to elements seemingly small at the moment of unbelief, and they can grow. And that which is most present in this life, most precious in this present life, I should say, people that I care about, that I know, that I love, have simply walked away. If there's a theme for this week, it's let's not do that. Let's not ever do that. Let's understand what this falling away looks like. Let's understand some of the ways that it is exemplified. And then let's spend every night this week through Friday Fighting for who we are. That's what this theme is about. If I was going to try to depict in imagery what this falling away is like, I would ask you to turn back a page or so and look at chapter 2 and in verse 1. Interestingly, chapter 2, verse 3 talks about so great a salvation, which is what I tried to describe to you in the opening remarks. We have a great salvation. And yet the warning comes in chapter 2 and verse 1, for this reason... And that has to do with the ministering spirits and the uh, preeminence of Jesus from chapter 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not, and I think this imagery will sustain us this morning, drift 
away from it. We stop studying, we stop learning and thriving and growing and and making events like what we did this morning personal. We drift away. And that's imagery I can understand. It's almost like you're in a boat, a little boat. And if you have a family, they're in the boat with you. And you're a Christian, so you've got that boat firmly tied off to the bulkhead. That is the the presence of God, the Bible, Christ, the truth. And we're right where we need to be. And, And just someday on a little whim, we just sort of take the rope off the little bulkhead and just float around a little bit. No big deal. Still there. There's God. There's me. There's my family. But you know... Start drifting around the cove a little bit, which is still not that big a deal because I can still see it. It's right there. I could easily row right back over, tie this thing off at absolutely any time. Don't even pay attention to the fact that you've got people with you here and we just sort of drift around. But, you know, eventually maybe we get out of the cove a little bit and the current starts taking us out. Maybe we glance back and it still doesn't seem like a big a deal. But then you look up one day and you're way out there and it took days and days and days. And that's the way sin works. It's a a drifting, it's a drifting away from the Lord, and there have been people, people I care about so, so, so much right now, going through the pains that we're dealing with in our family, right there in the room this weekend, who have drifted out into the current, and they know they're not where they need to be, and it happens so gradually and incrementally, but that seems so daunting now, and it's too far to get back, and they don't even want to try. Have you seen this before? Has this happened at the Oak Mountain Church? probably happened to people you care a lot about. We are here to study what we can and do what we have the power to do through the Word to make sure that we are not drifting. And look, just being in a church pew is not the same as being tied off to God. Do do I need to preach 30 minutes on that? You know that already. Being here is great. But the truth is, and I've been there in this boat, if I could use a very poorly used pun there. I've been in the boat of sitting in the services every Sunday But the boat was just somewhere in the cove working its way out to the outlet. We're going to fight that. Here's how I want you to consider it as we move through this morning. There's this song that was written. It's written by a guy named John Mark Hall, and it's called The Slow Fade. And I don't know if you've ever read the lyrics of this song. We're only here this morning to discuss the lyrics of this song. A man wrote lyrics on a page. Why am I saying that? Because if you Google it, when you leave here, you'll find that there is a Christian contemporary band that plays the song with instrument. I'm not here to talk about that, to affirm or deny that. But that is what you might find. Although if you do a little bit of digging, you'll find that these lyrics are also sung by a cappella bands and individuals and consequently in my own head. So what we're here to do for the next little bit is I want you to consider the lyrics to a song that put a very real progression to what this drifting looks like and can benefit us. And I just think it's going to benefit you tremendously to think about these words. And we're going to be using the Word of God as the the stakes we drive into the ground along the way to build this structure. Let me begin by sharing with you the chorus repeated over and over in this song. And it goes like this. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turns to gray. Thoughts, watch the process. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Now let me show you a couple of things about that. The first one you've seen already in Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 3. 
It is gradual, it is incremental, and that's what makes it dangerous. It's also kind of uh, comforting, I guess, to know that if you're a faithful Christian, no matter what happens today, you're probably not going to wake up tomorrow and say, we're done with God. That's not the way the devil works. So that's comforting to know that wherever you are, you're not going to fall far away in a hurry. But it is an ongoing, gradual movement. A thought here turns into a decision over there, which costs you some price. And then we respond in a certain way and on it goes. So that's one thing to note that it's very gradual. But I need you to see what I said a few minutes ago. You give yourself away. Nobody does this to you. The blame game is out the window when it comes to an individual's faith. God is not trying to lure us away or test us in that manner. The devil doesn't have the power because Jesus, 1 John 5, is strong enough to protect us. Open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. I think that the explanation of the way sin grows and works in James chapter 1 will help us see this idea that this is within my power to choose. We give ourselves away or we keep ourselves strong. In James chapter 1, please, I want you to notice with me beginning in verse 12. James 1, 12. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Great news. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, verse 14, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lusts. You give yourself away. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. There's your process. Thoughts invade, choices made, prices paid, and it started within me. Now that's great news. I like that news. Because that news says that for every person in the room this morning, it is within your power, God's power living through you, faith, to make things hold, to bring the boat back. And no one can stop you from doing that. But it can be challenging. People never crumble in a day, but you usually don't row all the way back in a day either. It takes effort and commitment. So here's what we're going to do. This song has four lyric lines from a children's song. Whether you know the song, it's a slow fade or not, you're going to know the children's song lyrics you're about to see. And they're pretty generic, but they really help us understand how this slow fade works. How would a person give themselves away when they have such a great salvation in God? I think you're about to see the process by which that works. And we'll look at it generically, and then we'll zoom in on what their lyrics are trying to get us to see. And I think you'll find that beneficial. So let's start with this. What does this slow fade look like? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, you've got to be careful little eyes. What you see. You want to know what's going on in your heart or what's going to be in your thoughts tomorrow or, or how you're going to lay out this week with the gospel meeting and all that's going on? What we choose to put in is what we ultimately produce. So we need to be careful little eyes what we see. Now, you've heard that sermon many times. So I won't go through all of the typical passages in great depth, but we know of Job 31, do we not? In Job chapter 31 in verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not gaze upon the virgin. Do you remember that? His friends were accusing him of sin in Job 31. He said, I have not sinned. I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not letting it come in so I know it doesn't live inside of me. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. 
What we feast upon affects everything else that goes on within us. We probably would do well if we were just preaching on this topic to go and look at a man named David on his rooftop. When he looked across at a woman Bathsheba, and we also often say he looked too long, and he did. And it absolutely tunnel-visioned him. Is that not what happened? He was looking at life through a straw once he let those immoral things come into his life. He forgot about his country, he forgot about God, he forgot about other people. It was just that immoral thing feeding his heart through his eye. Be careful, little eyes. What you see. But let me say this. The eye wandering and taking in something that it should not see is not the same thing as drifting. Maybe something pops up on the television screen or some pop-up on your Yahoo page or someone walks even into church buildings sometimes or somewhere else and you look and you should not have looked. I will agree with that portion of it. But the eye just sort of jockeys that way. It just sort of takes a look that direction and we look away. Look, those things happen. I do not believe that an eye being drawn to an image, even if it's something that, that shouldn't have been there, and that I probably shouldn't have looked upon, the eye going to that thing and then bouncing away from it is not drifting. That's called, I don't know, physics or something. It's just the way the body works. There's an image, you look. There's an elephant in the room, there he is. I think we can get really down on ourselves, like, I can never control what I see with my eyes. I get it, I feast upon these things, but I'll just never fully be able to control. Well, it's kind of like the tongue. The answer is, duh, you won't. But here's where I think these lyrics really benefit us. Listen to this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands and darkness like tethered to your bound hands pulls the strings. Do you see that difference? I do not judge my spirituality, my focus, the way my day is going by an eye drawn this way or even a thought that runs into my head if you want to look at it from that perspective, the the mental imagery of the internal eye. I judge my focus on what I do with that image, what I do with what I'm seeing. I bounce away, and do I bounce back? And then do I stay looking? It's that return game that illuminates the drifting between us and God. Open your Bibles to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Maybe the imagery of letting light in and darkness in can help us see this a little bit more clearly. I'm asking you to be in the Sermon on the Mountainside, Matthew chapter 6, and you're looking at verse 22 and 23. Here's what Jesus said. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or non-clear or blocked, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's like the eye is a window to the soul and you let light come through it. It's not that difficult of imagery. You let that light feed on through and that's what's going on inside of you. But if you let uh, darkness block that light, you let it block the light, then what's inside of you? Darkness, right? Darkness is the absence of light. Look, I was in uh, my motel room this morning, got one window, and you know what has those has the little sheer sheen deal you pull across, and then it's got like, I mean, a bullet wouldn't go through it, right? You guys know? And 
I pulled, I was pulling the sheen across, and I pulled the, the back one across with it, and I mean, the place went dark. Just nothing. So what did I do? I pulled it back open like that. I put the thing across the veil, across the light, and darkness filled, and if I'd have tried to get to the other end of that room, I'd have fallen all over everything in every place. So I opened it back up. The fact that I closed it and said, oh, and opened it back up, it was not a problem. But what kind of a dummy, I'm not incriminating myself here, would say, well, that's dangerous, and then close it and walk off. It's the second glance. It's the return game. It's the, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. I think I'll do that again. That is indicative of personal problems. We let the light in. That doesn't mean there's not going to be moments of darkness flashing through. But when we become accustomed, it was not David, although you could argue David should have been at war with his soldiers, not at home on a rooftop. But it was not David seeing a woman bathing on a rooftop that ultimately collapsed his entire family tree of dominance. It was the fact that he looked, whether he looked away or not, we do not know, and he went back at it again. And that's the danger of things like pornography. The addictive sins of immorality in the eye. Nobody looks and darts away and doesn't look back. They look back and then they look again and then they look longer and then they cannot look away. How do I know where my drifting is? Here's what I'm saying. Spend some time this week checking out how your eye bounce is working. You're going to see things you shouldn't see. Think things you shouldn't think. Can you bounce away from those things? And if you find yourself coming back again and a third time, it's time to start praying very diligently. We'll talk at great length about that tomorrow night. We fight the drift through a personal relationship with God in emotional prayer tomorrow night. And we begin addressing that. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the return look is indicative of where the boat is in the cove. Here's the second thing. Be careful, of course, little ears, what you hear. Both of our first two are about inputs. I want you to notice that. You're going to need that when we get to the second half of this thing. They're about me deciding I can take something in. I can take in a steady flow of a certain type of image, and it's not going to affect me. It will, good or bad. The same is true here. We're talking about be careful little ears. This is not a new warning. We've been teaching this to our kids since they were very, very little. There are things you don't need to hear. You don't need to hear negative things. You don't need to hear hateful things. You don't need to hear profane things. I've got four kids, which I'll probably tell you all about all week. Stop talking about your kids, Chris. One of them is five, and he had his little six-year-old buddy over yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Summer was off. My wife, Summer, she was off in Shreveport with her father. I was watching the kiddos. And there's this boy, and she texts me and says, go out and listen to them. I said, why do you want me to listen to them? Well, we don't know this boy. And I want to make sure he's not saying, quote, bad stuff. I don't know what a six-year-old says, but I went out there and started listening. And you know, he's not from the same raising as Nicholas is. And some of the words were coarser in a way that we don't use. I want them to be careful lest they listen to things and those things begin to affect the way that they speak and the way that they think. And I would just tell you that when you talk about being careful, little ear, what you hear, this includes all social media, all online. Reading the word and hearing words are the same thing. If I'm reading the words off of a page, they are coming inside of me and affecting something that's going on with me, just like hearing. So what you're about to hear in terms of this point apply directly to the computer screen and social media as well. Now, if we were going to preach a sermon exclusively on be careful, little ears, what you hear, we would probably talk about Eve. 
in Genesis 3, wouldn't we? The devil is just feeding her words. Words about this will make you wise. This will taste wonderful. This will actually bring you closer to an understanding of God. And she listened for a moment. And we're going to hear things we're not supposed to hear. But she kept listening. And he convinced her. We might use passages like 2 Timothy chapter 4 where it talks about having your ears tickled. Look, you're going to hear preaching and teaching that you don't agree with at times. And there may even be false teaching out there. And hearing it is not the problem. It's allowing the arguments to continue to affect the way that you think and feel. Now listen to this. Here's the point that the song makes. It's not just generically, be careful of the things that you're hearing. It's this. When flattering leads to compromise. Think about this, please. When flattering leads to compromise, the end is always near. Look, this isn't about hearing curse words. This is about the world telling you that you matter. You are real. You're the most important person in the room. Do you know that? You're special. You deserve to get whatever you want. You deserve to stand out amongst the crowd. You've earned all kinds of things, and you need to go out and take it. That's what our world is selling us. Not just a profane word here or there, but humanism says you are so important, and we start hearing that. And the boastful pride of life might be stronger than the other two in 1 John 2 combined. The boastful pride of me. And when we start listening to that and elevating our importance above the Lord, above the church, well, the end may be very close. Let me show you an example. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew, please, chapter 4. I'm looking at Jesus. You know this story. Jesus is in the wilderness. The devil comes and tempts him. We've certainly studied this many times previously. But what I want you to notice is the nature of all three things that the devil says. The devil is preying upon this sense of self-importance, flattering words. I'm thinking of in the book of Proverbs and the flattering words of the mistress, making them feel special. Listen to this. I'm in Matthew chapter 4. I'll read verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Verse 6, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Let the angels catch you. Verse 9, All these things I have given to you, if you fall down and worship me. You see what he's doing? He's flattering him. You're the Son of God. You're the most important person on the planet. If you're hungry, you should have something to eat. If you jump off of a roof, an angel should come and catch you. Everything that you see around you, look, we both know it should all be yours. You're Jesus. And if Jesus started to feel that sense of self-importance instead of self-sacrifice, He would have taken those things for Himself and He would have given nothing for you. Be careful lest the world, our peers those in our businesses, our neighbors, start to justify their behavior by their self-importance. And when you start telling them, hey, you're not supposed to do things like that, they turn it on you and say, you're important too. And you deserve to get what you want, and you deserve to feel great, and you deserve to have it all, and God wants you to enjoy those things because when flattery leads to compromise, we forget the most important principle of life, our purpose, to promote the will of God above ourselves. So our first two have to do with just being really careful what we see and what we look back at again. 
be real careful of the messages we're getting that, by the way, every single commercial everywhere on every channel is selling. And that is how awesome you are. So you should be driving something very expensive and very new. Because that flattery leads to doing things you would not have normally wisely done. Here's a third thing. We're going to turn the page a little bit. The first two are inputs. The second two are outputs. Be careful, little lips, what you say. The inputs we take in, largely, if we aren't careful, affect our personal drift. I want to make sure this makes sense, so I'm going to take a minute on it. When I let things in and I think on things I shouldn't think, it's going to cause me to drift away from God. When I am hearing words of flattery, it's going to cause me. But now we're talking about how we affect other people. Now we're talking about drift level two, where I start saying things that are already going on inside of me, and I'm producing those for the world to see. Now the Bible is very clear on the way our words ought to operate. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, please, and verse 29. This passage would be used in a sermon on this topic, and we're going to read it right now because it's just the best. This verse is strong enough to absolutely have an effect on every person in the room and the words that you use in every relationship. This is a strong, strong passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Boy, there's a whole bunch of great things going on in this verse. Personally, at the beginning of verse 29, I can say a wholesome thing or an unwholesome thing. You've got that choice. Nobody can take that power away from me. I can say a wholesome thing or a not so wholesome thing. What is a wholesome thing? Every situation, every relationship, it has three qualities to it. Number one, it is good for building up the other people in the room. Number two, in that moment, it's the word that is needed. And number three, it brings grace, a sense of spirituality and mercy to those who hear. I love people who talk like that. They're always picking people up, drawing people to God. And they say that thing that needs to be said at exactly that moment. That's what God has called us through His Word to do and to be. But what if we don't? What if we're drifting so far out to the cove that we just start saying things? Talk very negatively about whoever or whatever, or angry words start escaping. Ephesians 4 talks a lot about anger and wrath and slander and all that. Or we start saying things that exemplify a lack of belief. Well, on the one hand, I could say if, if I'm doing that, it, it's saying that I'm drifting, but that's not what this is about. This is about the effect on other people. For empty words and promises leave broken hearts astray. Christians, brothers and sisters, the drift is a big deal, not just because it affects your relationship with God, but because it has a direct effect on the relationship with God of everybody else in the boat. Everybody with you, everybody you love, everybody in your family. Here's a guy, he was a faithful Christian, but he's really just kind of going through some things. He's letting some things in, eyes and ears. And so now it's starting to come out in the speech. And the problem is, it's an empty set of words that other people are hearing. And it's breaking their hearts. And it's leading children astray. And it's leading others to a lack of belief. Look with me in James, please, chapter 3. 
In James chapter 3, we would have to discuss this at least for a moment. If we're going to talk about the tongue, we need to talk about setting forest fires. Those folks who drop the things in the forest and leave, they're not usually the ones that get hurt. It's the people in the purview of that, the people who are affected in the woods. And in James chapter 3, verse 4, look at the ships also, verse 4, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, they're directed by a very small rudder. But verse 5, please. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Don't these fires just make you angry? Here's a couple of guys going out in the woods for a little camp out, and they leave their fire there, and they go home. They don't live in the forest. That's why they're in the forest. That's why they're camping. They live in the city. And they have a good time, and they leave it. But there's a hundred people who live in the forest. Their houses get burned down. Their dreams are broken. Their problems are left behind. Two guys get in their pickup truck and go back to town. Or if they live in the city and they're Prius or something. Let me tell you about words. Where we really start getting intense about watching our drift is when we start to realize that it is not self-contained. Our drift will always... Maybe they're not even in the boat with you. They're just in another boat and say, well, Chris's boat's going that way. must be a great way to go. And they'll follow Chris right on out the coast. We need to be monitoring very, very closely. So I would encourage you to do that this week. Now, today we're kind of using our morning session to set the problems out there. Here's what we're fighting. And then every night, as I told you, Sunday night through Friday, we're going to look at here's how we're going to fight back. Here's a great way to approach this and do well with this prayer and all kinds of other things. But I would challenge you today to just sort of monitor your speech a little bit. I wrote an article. It's not really related to this, but put it in the bulletin before I left called... Um, Something that I've forgotten. But it was a great title. It's fantastic. <laughs> Something about pronouns. Watch your pronouns. It wasn't watch, it was another word. Check, check your pronouns. You want to know what your life's about, who your life's about? Just monitor your pronouns today. I, me, my, us, me. Like that fella. I will build larger barns. He says you in that story, but he was talking to himself. Isn't that terrible? When he finally used a pronoun of somebody else, he's actually talking to himself. Monitor your pronouns. Who are we talking about? Monitor the attitude of the words because other people are listening. It's bigger than just me. Let me show you one more thing. Be careful, little feet, where you go. As I said, the first two are inputs, eye and ear, and really have to do with what's going on inside of me. The second two are outputs. Puts, that is what I say and where I go. And while that may be indicative of what's going on with me, in a larger picture, it has a great effect on people around me. When I think about the sermon on be careful little feet where you go, I think about Peter. Remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed and arrested? And Peter is standing right beside Jesus. And what does he say? Not me. I will never deny you. And yet, as we follow through this story in Mark 14, he's with Jesus. Then he creates a little bit of foot distance from Jesus. He distances himself a little bit. Then he creates a little bit more foot distance. Now he's at a fire with a bunch of ungodly people out here and Jesus is over there. And because he's not with him, he denies him entirely. And then he goes off and he, he mourns about that. But it wasn't until he walked back to God's people that they found their way out of it again. 
When you're standing next to God, you're strong. But when we walk away, everything changes. Be careful where you go, where you spend your time, what you're doing. Ephesians 5, please. We must have it. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 19. I want to show you my personal favorite Bible word. It's not found in the New American Standard. I think it's found in the King James Version and in the New King James Version. Uh, Brother Hutto said we have a lot of New King James Version readers. You win the day on the word in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. This version says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Your version says what? What a great word. Walk circumspectly. That's a terrific, terrific description. Circumspectly means... Circle, looking around, circumspectly. Be careful how you walk. Look around, gauge the right direction. What do I have going on around me? What are the obstacles? What are the problems? What are my options? And then you walk in the right direction. Not as unwise men, verse 15, but as wise men making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. Why would I go over there? It's foolish. That's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. More on that on Monday night. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, I know this isn't what this text is about. The next verse is great, too. But, you know, Lord willing, we're going to be back here at 5 o'clock. Now, I'm going to be able to say this. I get to be a little bit bold because we don't know each other, and it's fine. I'm from Texas. I don't know how many of you are going to be here this week or back tonight. I know that your feet will take you somewhere. And at 5 o'clock, there are a bunch of feet that are going to take themselves and their families back to God's people to worship. And there are some feet that you're not going to go get drunk, I pray, but are going to do a less wise thing. You're going to be off doing a less wise thing. I mean, if you ask you, you'd say it was great, but there are going to be people who walk here and they're going to people who walk there. I'm just here to tell you, you need to look around and assess where you're going. Not just where we're going, but where our options, what our options are. I can go to God's people to sing songs, or I can go away from God's people and go do something else. Because as the song says, and this hits me right here and here, it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. I have four kids. 15-year-old daughter with a boyfriend. 13-year-old son, knows everything. Five-year-old son, he's just kind of awesome. Three-year-old daughter. You guys ever seen that uh, old game show, uh, Pressure Luck? If you go too long, you get a whammy. She's three. Sweet but strong. But I'll tell you this, they're going to go where I go. I go to worship, that's where they're going. I go somewhere else, that's where they're going. They're going to grow up following in the footsteps of their father. And that means I'm not in this boat by myself. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Always, verse 20, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father and be subject to one another. I want my children to learn that. And I would just say this as we close. The song says this, Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be sinking. All I'm asking us to do this morning is honestly assess ourselves. Remember, no one brings you into Christ. No one pushes you away from Christ. God draws you in. Satan tempts you to leave, but you have all the power. It's completely up to you. So what we have to be willing to do is self-assess. How am I doing? 
What am I looking at during the week? What kind of things am I listening to? What am I saying? Where am I going? I have to be willing to self-assess because humility is the key. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Who is it today? Who's here? And can make an honest assessment of who they are and where their boat is and where the shore is and not only where you are, but what's the trend, you know? Which way am I headed? And can say with all honesty, I know I've put myself here and I know that God can get me back, but I need to be the criminal, if you were here for Bible class, who repents. That's heavy. But I will repent. And I will come to the Lord. Maybe you've never been tethered to God. Can I just tell you? There's no place like it on earth but in a relationship with the Lord. Your past sins are forgiven. You have present purpose and a future home. You can be baptized into Christ and be absolutely tethered to God where no one can ever take you away. If you want to get that back, or if you're ready to have that for the first time, the moment is extended to you as we stand together and sing.